Hello everyone, I just want to take a moment to tell you about my first ever sponsor, Plus One EXP. Tony Vicinda is the mastermind behind this trifecta of triumph. He produces tabletop-themed beard balms, beard-themed tabletop RPGs, and helps to support additional tabletop content creators on Patreon. Now, each of his beard balms is flavored after the basic stats from D&D. Do you need some strength for your beard? Why, apply and feel yourself empowered with the scent of pine and cedar with a minty edge. If you're feeling rather charismatic, apply a balm of sweet-smelling amber, clove, and pipe tobacco. Each one of these balms is unique in its makeup. And of course, don't forget, Tony developed a whole RPG that allows you to harness your facial ferocity and hair-raising adventures. You can snag a copy of that game as well as a style stencil, enamel pin, or a map of the Whiskerverse. And finally, aside from all of the awesome interviews and actual plays Tony has on Plus One EXP, every purchase you make feeds into the Plus One Forward program, which supports small indie content creators to continue making amazing tabletop RPG content. So head on over to plusonexp.com. That's plus one spelled out and exp.com in order to shop for these balms and games and more. And when you go to check out, use my affiliate code Randolph to save some coin on your purchase and to help support sidekicks and sidequests. How else do you think our tavern keeper at the Levitating Platter is going to keep his silver beard so awesome? Once again, the code is Randolph, like how it's spelled on episode two and his write-up, in order to save on your order and help support the show. So thank you so much, and now, back to the podcast. Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 41 Inpro the Thrykreen Tailor. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Tony Vicinda's table in the Levitating Platter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of... Sidekicks and Sidequests, the coolest and most unofficial Dungeons and Dragons podcast, if I might say so myself. I am joined by a fabulous guest that I've gotten to know a little bit more on the social media side of things, but now we're going to put that human back into humanity. I turn the microphone over to my guest now and ask, who are you and what is it that you do? 
My name is Tony. I have most recently taken to calling myself a beard balm magnate. So I make beard balms, lip balms, lotion bars, and then I do niche marketing to different groups. For those, it's all handmade products and all the stuff we do goes forward. So it's a little bit like modern day alchemy is really kind of the major focus of my life. And I have to ask, are you a user of your own fine products? You listeners can't see this, but my guest has a very immaculate silvery beard. Silver and black as well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so I do. Before I actually got into making beard balms and lotions and everything else, because I wanted to just kind of make them for myself, I lived in Seattle at that point in time. So the DIY culture, if you weren't growing your own goats in your backyard or making your own (laughs) beard balm, were you even really alive in Seattle at that point? And so I just started making it for myself and for some friends and then went to a convention and had a booth and thought, you know, I'm just going to make some and we'll mix some scents together that we think will appeal to the people there. and People kind of went crazy for it, came back, put it on a website, didn't do much with it for about six months and then built a little sales funnel and pumped some ad money into it. And things kind of went viral from there. And since then, we're in the middle of launching a new brand that is tabletop game themed specifically. All the aromas are based on traditional Dungeons and Dragons stats. We're really excited about that. That's awesome. And I was just taking a peek at your Twitter page right now. So I can see that you're a maker of RPGs as well. So I think it's the perfect segue into the next question, which is, do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I do currently have like an on-again, off-again game that my daughter, who is 11 years old, is running for our household. It's her first session that she's run for anyone. She's got another one that she's got up and going now with some of her friends, which has become her primary focus. So we're not getting quite as much. But the first time I ever played Dungeons & Dragons, I was probably nine. I remember it was a box. I don't remember what box it was. I remember I played a half-elf ranger and that we were at a friend's house. I don't even remember who the friend was. I remember thinking it was a whole lot of fun (laughs) and then trying to get into it a couple of times. I grew up in the South. My mom was a little resistant. I don't think it was anything satanic panic, but I actually Mm -hmm. fell into GURPS as my first role-playing game level, which is the generic universal role-playing system by Steve Jackson Games. And I played Mm D&D off and on a little bit, but I actually really love OSR systems and I love GURPS and I love a lot of different role-playing systems. So Dungeons and Dragons doesn't make it to the table a lot, but I I have played it some and I have played some fifth edition also. Awesome. And I know that's what I'm running with my group, with my friends that have asked. And currently I'm making NPCs for free for everyone for fifth edition. But if I understand correctly, you're actually developing some of your own role playing games. Is that correct? Yeah. So we just last February, right before the world shut down, successfully funded on Kickstarter Beards and Beyond, which is started its life a couple of years ago when we were starting to think about making a tabletop themed beard bomb. And some of my friends were like, well, you're really into role playing games. And I know you do game design sometimes could you design a beard based role-playing game and i said i mean sure i could design like a two to four page role-playing game that would just be something simple and light and silly and so a week later I just went up to my local game store and drank beers and sat and talked through it with friends and created this little four-page role-playing system, two pages that were a player guide and two players that were a GM guide that were designed to be quick and funny. The different stats of your beard or your imaginary beard dictated the skills of your character, the abilities of your character. And it was a lot of fun. I just built in a lot of things I liked in role-playing, which was very story-forward, very simple.
simple rules. We got a chance to play test it and then we just put it out as a free RPG and it's been downloaded over 2000 times now. But this Kickstarter project was to take that four page RPG, which in all honesty, I wrote it in a week. It wasn't like stupendous and turn it into a fully fledged kind of rules light RPG system called Beards and Beyond. If you go to beardrpg.com, you can check that out. And depending on when this comes out, you'll either get the Kickstarter page, which will redirect you to our Facebook group, or it'll be redirected to our pre-sales or sales page, depending on when people are listening to this. Yeah, we're looking at the beginning part of next year for you. But don't worry, we'll make sure that you get all your appropriate shout outs on social media. (laughs) If I'm looking at my Twitter page correctly, do you have another one coming out called Protest Singer as well? No, no, that's actually that's an Adam Voss World Game Champ Co. game. He did it a couple years ago. So this is a kind of a reboot of Protest Singer. That's a fort in the dark system that he's putting together. So part of the plus one experience, which is the new tabletop beard bomb is we reinvest the money into the independent game content creation community. So we take a significant portion of the proceeds and just dump it right back into Kickstarter. So when you buy one of our projects, you're actually going to support independent game creators and Adam and World Game Co. We support them on Patreon month and month out along with a couple other people whose tabletop content we just love. He just announced it. And so I just gave it a retweet. The other games that I have in development, none of them are role-playing games. There's one called Cascade. That's a two-player area control game. And then the other one that is fully done and we'll go back to Kickstarter at some point. It's called Brand Standing, which is basically you get a couple of prompt cards and over the course of five rounds, you build a business from nothing but those two prompt cards and you pitch it as if you were pitching different rounds of investment. But so it's a high improv, ongoing storytelling game, a couple of role playing elements, but you're really doing brand building over the course of a number of rounds while doing investment simulation as well. So that's the other game we've got in the pipeline right now. Awesome. This sounds fantastic. I can't wait till I get an opportunity to go check them out myself and hopefully snag a copy. But before we go off onto too many tangents of the show, this program is called Sidekicks and Sidequests, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you who was your favorite sidekick or NPC from RPGs or video games, etc., and why are they your favorite sidekick NPC character? Yeah, I think about this a lot sometimes. It's really interesting to me. I have a pretty ensemble mindset, so it's hard for me to think of even characters who are NPCs as NPCs a lot of the time when it comes to video games. And when it comes to role-playing games, I think a lot of my favorite ones have always been ones that are partially player-managed. So whether that's a animal companion, I had a character in my first fantasy group setting that was a goshawk, which is this kind of larger predatory bird. It's bigger than a falcon, but not quite the eagle or full hawk size. I absolutely loved role-playing with the GM with. And so when you have kind of that push and pull between the player and the GM where the player gets to know a little bit more about the NPC and the GM gets to be surprised along with the players. I think those are some of my most favorite ones. My other ones that I've really loved have been ones that the GM puts in there and thinks they're going to have to convince the party to be friends with and the party just immediately takes to whether that's a good choice or not. I think we befriended in a time travel campaign once the great, 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 great grandson of George Washington, who ended up being from a timeline where George Washington was a British turncoat and was trying to destroy the multiverse through collecting a bunch of weird quarters. It was at the time when the quarters from like all the different state quarters were coming out and each one, each state quarter gave you different like minor boost and they're all kind of reality shards that we were putting together. So 
those are some of kind of my favorite ones. But I think for me, it's when you kind of have that level of which everyone at the table is surprised by what the NPC is doing that I get the most excited by NPCs. My daughter does have a standard favorite NPC that she trots out for everything, which is Don Quicksight, which is kind of like a Don Quixote bard rift. He's much less insane and much more competent, but also pretty silly. And I'll give that a shout out in case she listens to this episode later. Well, I have to say great minds think alike because I think in my own home game, I also have a Don Quixote inspired NPC, but his name is Donald Keyholder and he's a proficient locksmith. And when I introduced him to the players, I said, oh yeah, he lives in a windmill. That's his shop. But the door on the outside has like 42 different locks. And so he had to go through with all the different keys (laughs) to open the door for them to go inside. Yeah. And then what about a side quest? Do you happen to have a favorite side quest from any game you've played, et cetera? And why has that been your favorite side quest? I feel like side quests are the best part of a game. So I don't even know that I think about them as side quests. And a lot of the GMs that I've had and the way that I GM, we didn't do a little bit more of go where the player wants. So you set the stage, you explain what's happening, but if they spend the entire time doing side quests, the side quests just kind of become the quest. And a lot of the GMs I played with, they do the same thing. So it's a little bit difficult for me to think with Fable, as far as video games go, I was obsessive about doing all the little side quests that you could do on that and going back through and doing replay to figure out, hey, if you made this decision versus that decision, what did that tree out to? So from a video game standpoint, it's a little bit easier to think about some of the systems that I've done. But from a role-playing standpoint, we've always just kind of looped things into this may become part of what you do to save the world, even if it was just like going off and defending this village to help level up or the random person in the bar that you end up sidling up to the GM rolls a couple random encounters for you to go on, they end up oftentimes getting woven back in in a really profound way. So for video games, it's easy to think about, but for tabletop, we tend to actually make side quests a pretty significant part of what ends up happening in the overall campaign. So I don't have one that just jumped to mind. Fair enough. I think you provided a good explanation. Rightly so. A lot of the times as a dungeon master, you think you have an idea of where everything's going to go. And then your players just take the one detour and they become super interested in this random event. And you're like, okay, well, I guess this is going to be the main story now. Right, right, right. Yeah. I was reading an article the other day where somebody, they decided that something was unjust in the world. And so they created a bunch of side quests to try to address that. And, you know, at the very beginning, the GM had said like, hey, there's an evil zombie lord who looks like the undead are starting to rise out on the edges of the kingdom. And so they were able to make this huge social change within the kingdom only to have the entire world torn apart by darkness just because they never actually went on the main quest. (laughs) As a GM and player, I totally respect that choice to say, yeah, that happens. Like if you choose to not put your attention towards the thing that you're presented as an issue, the GM shouldn't just drop it. They should just figure out what's happening in the background until that meets back up with that storyline. Right. The A plot and the B plot, they were more interested in the B plot. The A plot was rolling along because it didn't have anyone to stop it. Well, the A plot resolved. Congratulations. The world's plunged into eternal darkness for the next 3000 years. (laughs) Yep. Awesome. And then finally, to round out the personal interview section of the show, What are you passionate about and why? I would say community building. So my background is in church and missionary work, and we still do a lot of that. But even within the tabletop community just itself, I am a huge fan of watching the way that community forms around the table and in different parts of the country and then online as different people get together and play. And right now, uh, you mentioned, you know, this will come out next year, which hopefully will be out of quarantine by then. But right now we're in the midst of the COVID reality and watching the online community 
just kind of pop up and and people stepping into the tabletop game community for the first time ever or in a new way is really exciting. I get excited about people from different backgrounds with different worldviews sitting down and falling in love with the same thing over the course of something. And I think storytelling is such a natural way to do that. And so community building is just huge for me and for our family. We try to do it in our neighborhood. We moved to Philly from Seattle specifically to be in an area where we could walk more, where we could spend more time just getting to know our neighbors and living way more locally than we could in Seattle just because of cost of living. And Mm -hmm. it's been huge. And so we love our neighbors and we've gotten to know them really well even during this time. And we're looking forward to actually being able to sit down, have meals with them, spend time with them when this is done. And I'm always excited to meet somebody new and play a game with them. Awesome. I'm glad. And you're absolutely right that because everyone's having to stay home and isolate and prevent the spread of this disease, this virus, that you're right. Absolutely. Everything has grown online and people are playing games virtually across time and space through the power of the Internet. And that's pretty cool to do. And I can't wait to be able to get around a physical table again and play with my players once again. Well, without further ado, I think it's time we head into NPC creation. So, Mr. Tony, have you come to the table with an NPC you'd like to share, or are we going to engage in some dice rolling and letting the fates decide what our NPC is today? I figured we would just kind of improv or riff it out. So if we want to dice or if we just want to talk through it, I'm good either way. I didn't come prepared with one, though. I think it's more fun to let that unfold as we go. Fair enough. Well, I have all my handy dandy tables pulled up. So if you got some dice, I can lead you through and we can build this character. My daughter has absconded with a lot of my dice. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what I got here. I do have a number of them, but we'll see what numbers, what numbers of them I have. <laughs> There's a lot of dice here. Awesome. Okay, so for the first item, we need a D20 because we're going to determine what is the character's name. Actually, can we come back and name it at the end? I know that's a departure from the normal process. Names are like the thing I love the most. Can we save the name until we know who it is? Sure, I will allow it wholeheartedly. Skipping to the next one, let's figure out the ancestry or the race background for this character. So this is going to be 2D10 or a D100. All right. Got 67. 67, as I scroll down my list, 67 is a Thrycreen. So we are working with a Thrycreen today. Haven't had one of those yet as of the time of this recording, so this will be fun. Now we need to figure out what their job or role in society is. So if you'd like to go ahead and roll just a regular D10, we can figure out what that job is going to be. One. A tailor, a Thrycreen tailor. Perfect. And now let's see, the next one is going to be age. So let's go ahead and roll a D8 for that. Four. An adult. So an adult Thrycreen tailor. All right. Now that we've rolled some dice, we can get into a little bit of brainstorming. Let's describe the physical appearance of our Thrycreen tailor. Thrycreen are like mantis-like people, right? They're a humanoid bug race, is that right? That is correct. I think they live in the desert, mostly. Yeah. Mandibles, and they have like a click language that they speak. Yeah. Uh, Let's say that he, which apparently we're going with a, a guy. Let's give him 
a little bit more of a green shade than most of the rest of the people in his tribe. He goes outside just as much as anybody else does, but for some reason he's been able to maintain a little bit more color. Maybe he doesn't go out as much because he doesn't blend in in the harsh desert terrain. Okay. So a little bit more green, but with brown accents on the mandibles and one of his antennae goes straight up and the other one juts out a little bit at like a 45 degree angle pointed up along with it. So it's got a little bit of a, an angle to it. Okay. All righty. And then let's see the next one. Let's describe our character with three adjectives. I think he is fastidious. Okay. That's a good adjective. <laughs> yeah. Likes to pay attention to when he's measuring and cutting cloth and sewing and tailoring. Yeah. Okay. He's particular and his customers appreciate that about him. I don't know that everybody else does, but <laughs> his customers certainly do. That's why they come to see him. So he's fastidious. I think he's a little bit of a cut up. He likes to laugh. He likes to make other people laugh also too. Okay. And then I think he's a workaholic. Mm, of course. He wants to make the best threads in town. Okay. That's right. Okay. And now we get to go back to some dice rolling. We need to figure out what's the valuable item, piece of lore, a secret, or a ideal or concept that he ascribes to. So this will require us to roll a d4 first to determine the category. Three. So this is going to be a secret. So now you get to roll a d6, and we will figure out what his secret is. It's like, what does a d6 look like for a second? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I rolled a two. Two. Ooh, this is very appropriate. He has been stealing from the store. So I don't know if he is the owner of the store. Maybe he is someone who just works at the store. But for whatever reason, he's been stealing from the store. All right. I think maybe it's a family store. Maybe he is the tailor, but it's more like a general store. Or maybe there's more of kind of a communal reality to it. Okay. And he has been stealing not his own goods, but from other people in order to kind of expand his section of the story. He's trying to make himself look good to all the customers and to the community. Mm, okay, so a little bit of family or communal politics and conflict going on. Okay. And then the last thing here, before we go back to the name, what is a particular quest that our Thrykreen would be willing to recruit or hire player characters We'll see if it matches up, but this will require a D12 to roll. Four. Four. Okay. So according to this, it says draw a map of the local ruins. Now, I know you're a very creative person. We can go with this or maybe based on what we've already thought of so far, perhaps there's another side quest that's already percolating in your mind. I think it's it's kind of interesting. I think Thrykreens are not the most social of creatures. So maybe in order to cover up his crimes, maybe the store in which he does is actually this kind of set of ruins or not even necessarily ruins, but like these underground tunnels that are also part of old ruins. Okay. And when he's recruiting them, it's actually to cover his tracks because he's been blaming adventurers that have been passing through as a potential reason that things have been going missing. Oh, okay. He's willing to recruit them, but it's a covert thing. It's actually to just see if he can get them in. And if they get killed, then he can blame them for everything that's gone missing. If they make it out, then he's going to reap a ton of benefit from that. So maybe all the different stores in this kind of shopping area that his community run are part of this kind of extensive underground ruin slash tunnel system. Interesting. Okay. 
to expand further on this, so the player characters accept this side quest mission to go draw a map of the ruins. What's going to be the reward for actually succeeding? I know our character has ulterior motives for doing this, but if they come back and they present him a map saying, okay, we've done it, here's a map of all the ruins, what's going to be their reward? I think he has a type of fabric that he is able to procure. I don't want to go something as bland as spider silk. So let's say it's part of the chitin that the thigh cranes shed when they're young, as they kind of grow and as they exit from the larval stage into their full grown stage, that that can be reworked into heavy fabric that is better than leather. He's got a bunch of that that he is willing to give them if they do that. And maybe even a couple of items that in a higher power campaign that he has fashioned out of those things. So it's chitinous, but it's clothing and it's more durable than leather. So the benefits of it would be it's lightweight. It gives you a better AC than, say, like normal leather armor, I guess. Yeah. Cool. I can dig it. Yeah, that's pretty good, especially if you're constantly having to worry about the equipment that you're carrying. Now on the flip side of things, what's going to be the consequence of failure and what's going to be the consequence of refusing the call? I think consequence, if they don't go, mm-hmm. the next time they pass back this way, his head is on a spike nearby, I think. He's been found out and killed mm. because they didn't intervene. Okay. It's a high-risk situation. So failure, he obviously is kind of banking on them getting caught. And so I think failure is a high likelihood. The fact that they would get caught is a high likelihood. And so if they don't succeed, but they attempt it, I don't think he'll be upset. I think he'll play it off and actually will even still give them a little something for their trouble. Maybe not as much as he would have otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm still plays into his motivations. But if they go and they somehow reveal his motivations and don't do it, then I think he will, out of desperation, attempt to attack them. This is a man on the edge right now. Are you inspired for a name for this character, or do you want to roll and see if what I have in my table would work? I do think his proper name is unpronounceable by humans. The Thycranes have a clicking language. They have kind of odd and strained relationships with other humanoid races. I actually think his sense of humor would probably not translate. Like it's something that Thycranes would laugh their heads off at. But whenever he tells jokes to the party, I don't think they come across. I think everybody else probably refers to him as the inappropriate Thycrene tailor. So I think going with something like he's commonly called Inpro by everybody else is a fun way to go. So Inpro, like I-N-P-R-O? I-N-P-R-O. Okay, Inpro, the Thycrene tailor. Okay, perfect. So what are the goals and motivations of Inpro and how do they affect his general personality? We talked a lot about motivation already. He wants to expand his shop. He wants to be seen as successful by his hive. I think he is one of the few who's actually willing to try to bring in outsiders to engage a little bit more intentionally. So they all kind of appreciate that about him in there. But I think he's probably really quick to turn. There's a really strong edge. So he comes across as very friendly at first. Anytime it seems like people aren't going to do what he wants, especially kind of given his fastidious nature and the stakes with which he's playing, I think a sharp edge comes to play really quickly. So he'll come across as jovial, making these jokes that may or may not land. Lots of the time they don't. And then very quickly, if too many questions are asked or if things are starting to look like they're not going his way, Mm -hmm. he resort to threats or heavy handedness pretty quickly. I think he's willing to go from very, very playful to very, very dark very quickly Mm, okay let's see is there any particular way that he interacts with different groups of people 
He interacts one way with his hive, he interacts another way with his rivals or with his customers. Are there any particular idiosyncrasies or accents or, or ways that he talks and acts? With a couple of the different groups that you talked about, I think inside the hive, he really wants to be perceived as magnanimous. I think he's got a customer is always right mentality. So if the PCs are willing to engage him and do what he wants, he's going to be really specific about the way he wants it done. And he's going to expect it to be done that way because that's the kind of service he would provide if somebody came to him for tailoring. It's actually going to be really demanding and painful NPC in some ways mm -hmm. if they say yes. Right. So he's going to be happy to kind of just put more and more on them if they say yes to that. Inside the tribe, again, he wants to be seen as generous, magnanimous, and as a community leader. So I think he's hiding that most of the time. He's more than willing to go out of his way to let people feel like they're taken care of. I think even sometimes as he's stolen things, he's probably paid to have them replaced with lesser versions. Like, oh, I know somebody stole your golden mandible cleaner. Here's a silver one. Mm. I'm so sorry happen to you like he's used this as a way to expand a sense of his own generosity also okay all right interesting what impact have you made on the world how have you shaped the local area and do you have any current problems that prevent you from being a bigger player on the stage their hive may have more of a guild-like structure to it. So material success is equaling that. So for him, he feels like he's got to prove himself before the next time that the Thycrene leader dies. Otherwise, he's not going to end up in the position of influence he wants. He's on a little bit of a timetable also, too, which is why he's willing to go out of his way to kind of bring in outsiders. I think standing in his way from playing on a bigger stage is just proving himself and time. That's it. He's one of the top, most influential people in his community at this point in time. But it's really just waiting for those who are in leadership to pass away or step down. They've been very resistant to outsider influence. They do some trade with like dwarves and some other subterranean races that they have connections with that are kind of on the outskirts also too. But they typically don't involve outsiders in their local community. And he's been one of the people who's been a big proponent of that and has actually brought in a lot of trade to the local community. But a lot of it, again, has been to cover up this thing. Even though he is pushing an anti-outsider agenda, he's always pro. I know there's been problems with this, but we've got to give it a chance. We've got to see how this goes as that happens, manipulating the process for his own benefit. This definitely sounds like a well-developed NPC. And I think it's time now that we head into a random encounter. So now this is going to be the part of the show where we do a role play. A little vignette of our scene with Inpro, the Thrycreen Taylor. Try saying that five times fast. So I guess I turn it to you, fellow DM, as a fellow D&D &D player. What scene do you think would work best in our little random encounter? Is it a customer meeting with Inpro? Is it an adventurer meeting with Inpro? Or is it Inpro perhaps talking to another member of his community and the other shopkeep is arguing with him about stuff's missing? Why is that and stuff like that? Yeah, I think we can do a scene about the impetus for him actually hiring the party. So this would be with somebody from the community. Maybe it's with that leader. He's just waiting to step back and with maybe a couple other people who are of a similar position to him in the room talking about what they should do about this and whether or not they should hire some outsiders in order to map this, see if there's anybody hiding in their community and seeing what's been causing all these things to go missing in these ruins and these subterranean tunnels. 
I would be taking the role of the community leader who's commissioning the community to be like, hey, we need to explore these ruins because things are happening and we don't fully know what's going on around here. So let's map it out. And then you as Inpro are going to be the one saying, oh, yes, I can do that. Or yes, I think that's a great idea. Or this is the solution. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Just want to take a moment to recognize another sponsor of the show, Reaper Miniatures. They have been Texas Titans of the tabletop industry since 1994. They're right here in my backyard, and they have an amazing warehouse and game store. They make everything from paints to gaming accessories, stream on Twitch with tutorials and interviews, and host the ReaperCon. This year, back in person from September 2nd to 5th, 2021 in Denton, Texas. Whatever system you're running, whatever game you're playing, Reaper has a miniature that has you covered. Want to include Randolph in your game? Then might I suggest looking at their catalog for SKU number 77661. Perhaps you need a Lord Grubbub. Check out SKU 02646. Are you in the market for your very own Skink Knows the Lich? Look no further than SKU number 77280. You know, every time you shop with them and you spend at least $40 on your purchase, they will give you a cool new mini for free. And this miniature of the month is always something new. And if you're wondering how you can enjoy the benefits from my sponsor, if you visit my website, you can find a link for our sponsorship and use my referral code link when you shop to help support Sidekicks and SideQuests and get you some savings. By clicking that link on my website, it helps to track the traffic that our show directs towards Reaper Miniatures. The more traffic, the more that our Texas powers will be able to combine. So again, go check the link out on my website in order to use my special referral code and be sure to follow Reaper Miniatures on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. And be sure to sign up for ReaperCon 2021 and tell them that Sidekicks and SideQuest sent you. So thank you very much to this sponsor and back to the podcast. It's a hot desert and the camera zooms and you see the bits of ruins peeking out of the sand dunes and the camera pans down and you can see that there is a bustling metropolis underneath in the ruins. Thrykreen and dwarves and drow and whoever else are mingling about. The camera goes down to what looks like probably a community hall where all the Thrykreen members gather. And we can see seated at the head of the room is this older, imposing sort of Thrykreen. And everyone's chittering. There's debate and yelling and arguing going on. And so the head Thrykreen will hold up his hand and say, Please, please, quiet, quiet. Now I know it has been brought to my attention, to my concern that our brothers and sisters among the community have been seeing that their items in the stores have been going missing. What, what are we to do of this to try and stop this from happening? And after the initial uproar, Impro will stand up and kind of click three times to clear his throat, straighten his vest that he wears over his numerous arms, get himself properly presentable to the room, and then... I, uh, I think that uh, as much as I, I believe outsiders are the issue, that um, uh, we must seek them as part of the solution also, too. I, I don't think that we should be spending time away from our shops and away from the security of our, of our hive to, to deal with this. Um, I think 
It must be something from either down below or one of the dwellers from the surface who come down to trade in our goods. Uh, I suggest we contract some of them to solve this process. The Thrykreen are clicking and some are agreeing with you and some aren't. And then the leader will take an appraisal of the room and then he'll turn to Inpro and he'll refer to Inpro and his Thrykreen name and say, And are you to be the one that will communicate with the surface dwellers and charge the commission for them to explore the ruins then? If... If it is your will, O oh great leader, I, I will take this burden on myself. I, I, I prefer to not have to deal with the outsiders, but they have become a way of our life here in the desert. So if, if I must, I will happily do so for the good of, of the hive. He raises his hand and is like, For the good of the hive. And then everyone else raises their hands and in unison says, For the good of the hive. For the good of the hive. For the hive. And then he will say, Very well referring to Inpro and his Thrykreen name. I charge you to be the one to speak to the surface dwellers, to those who would delve deeper into the ruins, to map it out so we may find the source of the thievery going on in our stores. He gives a deep bow and a sense to take on this task with the surface dwellers. And scene. Well, that uh, that was uh, that was pretty cool, and getting to kind of see and envision how a Thrykreen hive society would function in the desert. My wife and I have been watching Avatar: The Last Airbender on Netflix again for the first time in like ten years, and so we watched the episode of the giant spirit owl who had the library mm-hmm. in the middle of the desert. Yeah. So in my mind, I was thinking of like that library tower sticking up, and then when you go underneath, it would actually be like Marrakesh or something like that, just underground and like smells and music and all that stuff. So yeah, here's here's two or three buildings that just look like they're in the middle of nowhere, and then there's this huge actual city underneath, and then even below that there's these ancient ruins that no one really knows what's down there i mean people go down there but not you know not extensively and so it's kind of a fun feel like you're in the middle of the nowhere until you find yourself completely surrounded by a foreign culture experience well we've entered the final thoughts section of the show so i ask you what did you think of your experience on the show <laughs> it's awesome i have never i've you know i've i'm familiar with thycrane i've never i've never thought to to think about how they how they live or how they play um, or anything else like that so it's really fun to kind of stretch out and think about okay what is what is an npc is going to be like that comes from this culture that is interconnected but very other i think insect races are some of the most interesting things to try to think about how they would behave it's just it is one of those things we oftentimes view as very other than us even elves dwarves orcs we can kind of put ourselves in the hey this is a meaty creature with similar motivations leaning one way or another to some type of human being with insects it seems really really different and really really difficult and i feel like we oftentimes just reduce insects to cannon fodder in the game like if there's chittering creatures then they're soulless or they're emotionless or they might have a hive mind in one person who speaks for them but there's no cultural interplay that happens within them and so ah, it'd be really fun to go kind of exploring what are the npcs like in this setting in this scenario especially from an insect perspective there have been a couple times i've been able to take bug hunt stuff and do something very different with them and players are always kind of shocked when you look at something a little bit bigger within the the realm of what they kind of expect to be a bug hunt 
Well, as we're ending the show, we're getting to our final moments. I want to turn to you, give you the soapbox and let you shout out, promote whatever you got. Let us know where we can find you on the interweb. Yeah, you can find me pretty much anywhere at Tony Vicinda on the internet, just like it says in the show notes or on the titling or whatever, wherever my name is going to be written down because it's a long name and not common. At plus one EXP, at plus one experience is a lot of the game work that we do, a lot of the different game development development projects, other stuff like that, our beard bombs by the time this comes out, our lotion bars and our beard oils, lip bombs will be up also too. And then if you want to check out Beards and Beyond, you can check that out over at beardrpg.com um, is the best way to check that out also. Awesome. I can't wait to check it out myself. I can't wait to get a beard back so then I can fully play the game and truly experience the epicness of a beard. <laughs> and actually, one of the reasons we created it was for people who didn't have beards to have basically the simulated experience of exactly what it's like to have a beard. So even if you don't have a beard, if you can't grow a beard, even if you're not genetically or gender disposed to growing a beard, then check it out. Well, thank you so much for your time. You've been an awesome guest. Thank you so much and hope to speak with you again soon. Thank you much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast. Or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for Side KQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our show with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. Sidekicks and SideQuests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portion of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four!